Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy. And this week we'll have Irish-born, Portugal-based garden collective review their experiments in running a cultural organisation on the blockchain. And later on we'll be on the banks of the Shannon to hear how the climate crisis carries on even when you're not looking. And we go hunting for the world's best smells with perfume ingredient specialist Benoit Nicole. But we begin this time in Lisbon. Much of the recent news from the world of NFTs, news that suggests the faddish, non-fungible tokens and the art entangled with them are losing value, seems to have the subtext of, I told you so, it's over. But if there's one thing we're somewhat familiar with now, it's that stuff they said was over can kind of hang around anyway. OK, the dollar value of an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet has tanked, but that doesn't mean every technology piggybacking on the blockchain has suddenly become useless. In fact, now that the excessive boosterism is over, it may become easier to see what's really there. So this weekly, we're going to meet with an arts organisation who are exploring how someone who wants to put on gigs, hold art exhibitions, publish poetry and run a record company, sometimes all in one night, could benefit from blockchain technology. Garden Collective started life as a group of friends putting on DIY gigs in Cork, but it soon moved to its current home in Lisbon. But as a DIY organisation, the group is always looking for new ways to make itself sustainable. So obviously they've been exploring things like NFTs, cryptocurrencies and DAOs. But before we get into any of that, Eddie and Eden introduce Culturefile to a Garden Collective. I'm Eddie, one of four members of Garden Collective, originally from Cork but living in Lisbon now uh, for the last... I've been over here since 2016 and yeah, Garden Collective started up then in Cork. My name's Eden. Uh, as Eddie said, I joined Garden Collective when I moved to Lisbon or when the guys moved to Lisbon and we've been running events with that for the past few years, excluding a couple of years which uh, the pandemic kind of... Uh, Limited what we could do. I heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, would you just say something to me about where you're talking to me from? Just introduce me to your space. As in this room? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what's outside the door and, you know, what part of the city you're in? That, just a little kind of um, uh, teleportation device in a sentence. So we're in Eden's apartment, which is bang in the centre of Lisbon and we're actually two streets up from the Irish Embassy funnily enough in the the heart of Lisbon Garden Collective has been quite scattered over the last few months so myself and Eden are here in Lisbon Emmett one of the other members is currently in Brazil and Niall is in Cork and the past few months has been a constant like moving around of of people in different places and uh, which also kind of pushes us to be a bit more experimental and, I suppose, resourceful <laughs> with, with, with what we need to do. Garden Collective started out as a collective of us running, looking to run events that would be kind of uh, multidisciplinary in that the the idea was to do, we'll say, mix in live music um, with uh, art exhibition, get poetry inside there, you know, like kind of mix around various forms of creativities 
and and not really kind of be pigeonholed into just running gigs or just doing art exhibitions or whatever um to try to do something a little bit different and also a kind of that kind of stemmed from the group of friends that that we grew up around anyway quite a mix of creatives in all sorts of fields so it was kind of like not even intentional it was just kind of the our surroundings anyway um and then it was like well you know we're doing this in various student houses around the place let's you know kind of go bring it to a pub and invite more people and you had been doing it in cork before you moved niall and emmett the other two uh, from from garden they started it up over in cork and then soon after moved out here at that stage i had already met you know a bit of a network of creatives over here so we kind of jumped into it straight away kind of for a while we had it monthly and then you know things shifted a lot during the pandemic and also since then we started a record label we've put out one poetry book another one to come uh put on smart exhibitions done production for other events like the the ethical assembly and worldwide women in concert and there's been a few others that we've kind of helped on the back end production I think all four of us are quite like that anyway, like in terms of learning quickly and learning by doing and kind of, you know, it's just in general doing creative things and, and keeping going. Very much DIY. The nature of it is that it's kind of never really the same. But in general, just to give an idea of the structure, like we'd go... For about a year when we were in full flow, we were doing 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. So the first six hours would be uh, a pop-up art exhibition with some performance slash acoustic and poetry to start open up the, the night. But at one stage we had the Irish Dance Academy um, here in Lisbon come along to do a performance outside and a trad session for sunset in front of the venue so it's always somewhat changing and the exhibitions change maybe sometimes it's more of performance art and then we'd have live bands and then from we'll say midnight on it would move more into the electronic music with kind of either live electronic acts or djs uh, and that would be the second part of the night but the idea was was always and and still is is to kind of you know, someone who comes along for the poetry gets exposed to an art exhibition, an artist they might not have seen before. Someone who comes along for the rock band gets exposed to poetry. And, vi- you know, that, that there's always kind of something new that, that wouldn't be on your radar before, like a mini festival. Was there a feeling that you couldn't, that couldn't be done in Cork or in Ireland? Or was it just lovely weather? <laughs> the weather definitely helps. But I would say there's there's much more limitation, especially in terms of, like the timing of of uh, cultural venues um so that's the one that definitely when we hit our stride with those events that the 12 hour events and they were going really well consistently that just wouldn't have been able to happen in in Ireland a lot of the events that we do over here are in quite DIY cultural association spaces which there's a really strong community of that in Lisbon and in Portugal. I suppose like legislation is a bit more relaxed for places that are up and running but have a cultural uh, driving force behind it and that also doesn't really exist in Ireland unfortunately. It, it's a lot more limited I would say. So there's there's more freedom to kind of fulfill what we envisioned in terms of like the parameters and how far you can push it out and and how many people you can get going and and 
um also just like things that are site specific you know like doing a trad session and and having a set of irish dancers out on a pier in front of a venue just you know for the, you'd probably have some paperwork behind that in in ireland whereas here you know Your innovation goes beyond the, the kind of events themselves. You're, you're running your own DAO, which people may not know exactly what that is, but tell us a bit about what that is, how, how you came upon the idea. This is a kind of an, uh, an experimental way of, of funding lots of different um, cultural production, production in general. Garden Collective as a DAO is only in its third month, so it's a decentralised autonomous organisation. And it's, that's in the way that we're using it, it's kind of like a digital way of organizing the collective but essentially it's just a way of managing any decision making and it can be applied to anything from a group of friends deciding where they're going to on holidays or a larger scale we'll say funding round or whatever obviously at, at the moment everyone sees kind of we'll say what generally you'd see in the news which is kind of quite a lot of hype uh, and i i feel like it's going to be quite a lot of hype for for some time but that's not to say that there isn't room for professional creatives to step into that space and kind of make it their own as well and 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 mess around with the tools and figure out what you can do and and be creative with what's there as well i personally got interested in the space because friends of mine started a collective called Mooty collective here in portugal and they basically proposed this idea of um, a cultural funding body that would help artists kind of experiment with nfts and web3 there's one particular cryptocurrency called Near Protocol, and they have at the moment a system for funding creatives to basically experiment with Web3 and NFTs. And this basically to try and introduce people in there, and there's a funding system there. So we are set up as a DAO there, basically to experiment with this. There's four of us on the council, but it's essentially everything we've been doing anyway, but now kind of playing with the tools that are there in this developing kind of environment. We didn't jump from doing exclusively physical events suddenly into kind of Web3 NFT space. Like a lot of people during the pandemic, we were forced to transition to online activities. And we had a festival arranged for March 2020. And unfortunately, a couple of weeks before that was meant to go ahead, Lisbon went into lockdown and we had to cancel it, which left us the unenviable task of pivoting the entire thing online in order to make sure that all of the artists and support staff were still uh, paid and uh, were able to to perform and then that kind of rapid transition through into the digital space and also just exploring new ways of doing stuff using less traditional avenues help the exploration of the web3 and nft space i think the major thing it's changed is we work with numerous artists and those artists get funds for projects. You know, if somebody plays a gig at one of our events or something, traditionally that would then fall on the shoulders of one person who would then have to pay the artist. But the way that the DAO runs is via a platform called AstroDAO. And AstroDAO is an online platform for governance, for voting. 
and it also holds the funding that we have for the Garden Collective DAO. So instead of one of us just paying an artist, and this is probably one of the most fundamental aspects of being a DAO, instead of one of us just paying an artist, the artist goes onto that platform, they request the funding. So they say, you know, I'm requesting X amount of money for performing at this gig. And then we all have to vote yes or no on that. Generally speaking, we obviously know that they're going to be paid ahead of time and stuff. So we vote yes, and then they get paid automatically as opposed to it falling to one member. It's spread across all of us, and we're all required to vote on that. So are you paying them in, in some kind of crypto? Uh, we work on the near protocol, and so people are paid in the near currency. The most interesting thing for us in the NFT space right now is actually NFT ticketing and the idea of redeemable NFTs in the physical world. Gardens Collective's core has always been the production of events. And one of the biggest overheads you have when selling tickets online are the fees that go to ticket sellers and the ticket selling websites. And so we're kind of using NFTs at the moment to explore alternatives to that. And so for an event that we have coming up, you can buy a ticket through a traditional ticket reseller. You can also buy them on the door as a physical ticket, and you can also buy them as an NFT. And if you do that, then they have fees which are probably maybe 10%, probably even less than that, as it would be with a traditional online ticket seller. How do people go about buying the NFT ticket? What's the, what's the process there? Our NFT tickets are currently minted and sold through a platform called Mintbase. Um, and it's essentially uh, the user interface, which allows you as a user to write to the blockchain. And the blockchain protocol that this one runs on is the NEAR protocol, which is what Eddie was talking about earlier. And so people would use NEAR currency and a NEAR wallet, which is all within that same ecosystem, in order to purchase these tickets via Mintbase, which is an online store. What's the activity like on that? You don't have to reveal any secrets, but <laughs> is there some take-up? <laughs> this week is our second foray into using redeemable nfts for a physical event the first event we did testing the waters with the redeemable nfts then and then this time around is our first kind of um push uh so we just released the tickets yesterday and we're going to be promoting them this week the interesting thing is you mentioned there about you know we don't have to reveal any kind of internals about it but one of the interesting things about working in this space is that it's all transparent uh, so you can see exactly when we create those tickets, how many tickets we created, how much those tickets cost, how many have been sold. Uh, all of these things you could just go onto Mintbase and look right now, which is a really different way of working. And I think that's a big kind of break from our traditional channels. On the night, what happens? You bring your phone with the wallet on it and show it? or And is the ticket destroyed or stamped in some way? What's the digital interaction? So in order to redeem uh, an NFT ticket, Currently, the method is a little clunky. So this is kind of an example of the fact that the the space, the Web3 space, isn't as developed as traditional web. So the way it currently works is you purchase the NFT ticket, and then that's what's called a token, and it sits in your wallet, your wallet being a digital wallet. Then you arrive at the door, and you present that token, that wallet, to the person on the door, and then you, there's a, a QR code. You scan that QR code and it brings you to a big button in which you say burn. That NFT is then destroyed in your personal wallet and in our garden collective wallet. It shows up in a specific section and it will say who did it when it was done. In addition to using redeemable or burnable NFTs for ticketing events, we're also exploring what most people are probably more familiar with NFTs for, which is as representations of artwork. Um, so this is something that we do in conjunction with 
physical projects normally. So for example, we had a photo shoot and then part of our integration with Web3 is turning three of those photos into NFTs that could be purchased. So just like you'd be able to have a physical print of a photograph, for example, you don't own the original, nor do you own the rights to that image, but you own a copy of that image, which you can then display. And NFTs, as they currently are being used, do the same thing, but in the digital realm. You know, just as you throw a couple of euros into somebody's hat, if they played a gig and they were passing around a hat, it's the same thing, but you're able to use digital coins. You know, or, this person... Or, or like you'd support an artist on Bandcamp. Exactly. I would say we're approaching it how we've kind of approached everything to date. Just learning about it for the sake of Garden Collective, but also for the sake of, of all the artists that are kind of in the community. And if we can kind of learn a little bit about it and between us pool some knowledge and information and then spread that out to, to other communities of artists or the community that's built up around garden like great eddie and eden there of garden collective on their experiments in running a cultural organization on the blockchain and next on the Culture File Weekly, we keep an ear on the level of the River Shannon in headphone drama Rising. Rising, which unfurls on the banks of the river next week, is part of Future Limerick, a festival of climate-facing art from theatre to aerial performance, stand-up and poetry, run by Sunday's Child Theatre Company and its directors Eva O'Connor and Hildegard Ryan, as well as their Limerick version of Broken Talkers Rising, first heard on the banks of the Liffey in Dublin, O'Connor and Ryan are also bringing their co-written piece afloat, an equally timely pendant that inspired their festival, as the duo told Culture Files' Louise McMahon. We can't really ignore the climate crisis and it's I think everyone is coming to this kind of collective awakening where it feels like one of the most pressing things we're all dealing with as a society and so we wrote our play afloat in 2019 as our kind of response to it. My name is Eva O'Connor. I am co-director of Sunday Child Theatre Company and co-director of the Future Limerick Festival. It was the idea for the festival came out of a building a festival around that place. I'm on the bus into town, crawling through traffic. The stench of stranger sweat. People are like, oh, is it bad for me like, to get a, a plane? Is it bad for me to get a train? And I'm like, listen, like, these big corporations are very happy for you to stay at home and like, be worrying about your own stuff. My name is Hildegard Ryan, and I'm a director in Sunday's Child Theatre Company and the co-director of Future Limerick Festival, which is Ireland's first ever climate arts festival. The concept of the carbon footprint was actually invented by BP Oil. They came up with that themselves as a way to get everyone to look at themselves rather than these giant oil factories that are destroying the earth. Like, do you know what I mean? I wish I could just go back. It's a very deliberate tactic that like fossil fuel companies and all these companies are actually using on us and it's totally working. We're like, oh, I shouldn't buy a takeaway cup. Oh no, but actually we should be like, you know, lobbying our governments and like... I'd chain myself to railings. I would swim in the sea and travel the world, but I wouldn't fly. I swear to God, I wouldn't fly. We kind of wanted to delve into that and like how, how it's really hard as an individual not to feel like you should be doing more, but also to focus that energy in a more productive way. I think one of the things we were very conscious of is how overwhelmed people can feel by the scientific information that we all have access to and how overwhelmingly bleak climate change can actually be. But we all know that now more than ever, we're running out of time and we need to act. Like if we die, does Dublin die with us? If a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it fall, then then did 
Workmans ever really exist? <laughs> is about two girls called Blonnet and Debs. The climate crisis has sort of hit. It's kind of apocalyptic times and Dublin is fully underwater. And Blonnet and Debs are the sole survivors and they're at the top of Liberty Hall, kind of reminiscing on their old lives and what they could have done, if they could have done anything. One of them has these really rose-tinted glasses on. It's like, Dublin, Dublin was, was paradise. paradise. And the other one's like, well, we couldn't even like afford to get a house. I'm serious. Dublin was paradise. And then God saw that it all gone to shite, so he sent down the flood. Don't say that. Dublin was my home. Yeah, it was mine too. You know, working people, you know, were being pushed out by Airbnb. It was the big question behind it is how much personal guilt can keep us from focusing on how corporations are responsible for so much of climate change. How often maybe we are distracted by this idea of really personal guilt. Dublin was teeming with writers, musicians, poets. Rising, which is written by broken talkers, but we're producing it for the festival. Where's Rising was originally all about the Liffey in Dublin and like how the how the rising water levels will affect people living in the Docklands areas. And we've adapted it to make it all about the Shannon in Limerick, so it's quite a cool like collaboration. Where do you begin when the story is so big? Touching every living thing. Everyone we know and love. So the idea behind um, Rising is that you're being spoken to by a young Limerick woman who's living in the future. There's so much information. And she's sending a message back to you and saying, you know, this is all the things that happened that we didn't take notice of. Now we're living in a world where terrible things are happening all the time. And she kind of takes you into her world. And we have like an amazing kind of music and amazing audio behind that. So it's quite like immersive as you're listening to it and you're looking over at the river. But we're going to have like physical theatre performances kind of throughout. This conversation across time. For people that you might think are just passers-by. It's going to really make the kind of city come a little bit alive. You'll be like, oh. Look at this beautiful river. It's been the answer to many of our problems. In 1935, Ardna Krusha harnessed its powers. Given power to homes who had none. It illuminated our city. But the river has also caused its fair share of sadness. These days, people patrol the bridges at night, stop others from jumping in, those who want the river to take them. And this river will cause more sadness still. And then as the play goes on, you kind of realise that the kind of terrible things she's describing are things that are actually happening now. We felt bad, but still. And she's not really from the future at all. And it's kind of the idea is to focus on how the bad things are happening as we speak. An amazing Limerick actor, Michelle Fox, is doing our voiceover, and she's very passionate and very articulate. And, you know, she's from Limerick. But not as foreign. You know, and quite often it's, you know, like more disadvantaged communities who live in, by the river and have less, like, flood defences and, like, less infrastructure. They're the ones who are going to have their houses ruined first. But we still didn't get the hint. We were told that action was needed. And people who are more well-off, they can move, they can lobby their TD, but we have to think about who that crisis is going to hit first, and we have to be really awake to that. We did our bit with our green bins and keep cups and our electric cars, if we were able to afford them. This made us feel better. Then we went about our lives. But somewhere deep down, we knew these small changes on their own were not enough. I think it's a really good example of how all-encompassing the theme of climate change is, that, you know, they had a piece that was quite specific to Dublin and we were so easily able to adapt it for Limerick. And I think that in itself is kind of a good metaphor of how this is really happening everywhere. We felt powerless, so we bought things on Amazon. Everything we wanted in two clicks. While the other Amazon, the one we actually needed to be able to breathe, was being snuffed out. You know, we kind of believe that the arts plays a really important role in changing how people think or how stirring people's souls. And I suppose that's what we're trying to do with this. 
to say, you know, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. Like, how can we energize people and organize people and, like, also entertain them? The news became less and less about other things. The problems were still far away, but getting closer every day. Fires, floods, chaos, millions of people being displaced. But we're still fine, we thought. We told ourselves that here in this mild and temperate land, we'd be spared the worst of it. Eva O'Connor and Hildegard Ryan, directors and writers behind Future Limerick. Louise McMahon was the reporter. The Future Limerick Festival runs from May 16th to 21st. More on futurelimerick.ie. Now, here, smell this. Benoit Nicole is a fragrance hunter and the co-founder of The Nature of Things, an Irish-based company specialising in natural fragrances and essential oils. In the international fragrance game, the more stable and, let's face it, often cheaper synthetic molecules lorded over slowly extracted natural scents. But for the Frenchman, terroir is naturally everything, and only the plants found in the fields and forests in places such as Turkey, Iran, Madagascar, Madagascar or Haiti yield what the nose really needs, as Benoit Nicole explained to Culture Files Ornia Gallagher on a visit to his workshop in Dublin's chocolate factory. A technique uh, that's used specifically for citruses, for orange and lemon and lime, is called expression. So you do the essential oil of these citruses is contained in the in the skin. Uh, if you peel an orange, you, and sometimes you you know you get a little bit of, of zest in your eye, and it's typically that's the essential oil that does. <laughs> My name is Benoit Nicole. I come from Brittany, west of France, and um, I've lived in the US and worked for three uh, distillers of essential oils for the past 20 years. And uh, I met my Irish wife in uh, New York, and uh, we decided to move back to Dublin. So where I'm setting up my uh, company called The Nature of Things. The first range of products will be a range of, of single essential oils. Uh, and from there, I will also develop some uh, some natural perfumes and natural blends, uh, room sprays, natural soaps, and so on. So all natural products. So the, the roots are taken out of the ground, yeah. washed, because they contain a lot of soil, obviously, and everything. And then, um, and then they are steam distilled in Haiti. Uh, What's really interesting things. in this field is that, very much like wine, you know, you have different terroirs, you have different uh, countries that that can grow this type of, of products, like uh, for rose. The main countries today are, are Turkey, Bulgaria, Morocco. There's a little bit of rose still being grown in France as well, um, and Iran as well, actually. And each country will have a particular quality, uh, good quality botanicals you need uh, to grow that particular plant in the best environment and need to have people and communities who will tend the fields and you know and grow them in the best possible conditions so there's a lot of um, people involved and it's sometimes fascinating stories each uh, essential oil has a very different background and story and uh, i think my last trip was in uh, haiti which is a you know uh, extremely poor country it was also very interesting to go there to see how important this type of crops were for the locals. They typically have a very small piece of land. They will go primarily, you know, food products uh, to cover their, you know, basic needs. But um, there's a product there that that's a very important crop for them is uh, called vetiver. 
It's a grassy plant that has a root containing a, a very complex woody oil. And uh, vetiver in some regions of Haiti has become really a key uh, uh, income earner for, for the locals. So uh, they can complement their revenue, uh, you know, harvesting vetiver from time to time. And uh, when people talk about sustainability, you know, you, you, you have this uh, triangle where you meet, you know, the social needs of a particular community. Vetiver is also very good for the local environment, you know, uh, retaining soil in um, the landscape. Um, and, you know, they are prone to a lot of torrential rains and vetiver is, uh, is able to, with the deep rooting system, to maintain, prevent soil erosion in many areas. So it's an important crop for that. It's not about helping communities, but making sure that we operate in a very sustainable way. So, you know, we are working with the local communities to make sure that they, uh, they get some benefits from this making of perfumes. And so um, it's important to, uh, to work with those, you know, these communities and meeting their needs. You can smell the roots. You have to, uh, you know, to break it a little bit to kind of, well, it's, it, smells, uh, it smells a little bit. Mm. Um, Benoit Nicole of the nature of things there, scenting the air for Ornia Gallagher. And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more enticing vaporware next Saturday tea time. Till then, bye now. <laughs>